Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of Gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jason Perzolo. He's the co-founder of the American Medical Marijuana Physicians Association. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, T.G. Hey, I'm, I'm totally thrilled. I, I really love having uh, members of the medical community on this show. Uh, there's there's always a plethora of stuff to talk about. Um, but before we get into sort of the nuts and bolts, man, tell me about yourself. Uh, you know, what's your background? What do you specialize in? How'd you end up and get involved in cannabis advocacy? So it's, it's a good question, TG. I, um, I currently specialize in sports medicine. But uh, back in 2014, I was approached by various legislators and legislative staff regarding the creation of the original framework for allowing low THC to be recommended here in the state of Florida. Since then, uh, my involvement has continued to grow. And, you know, my overarching goal has always been just to ensure that doctors have the necessary education and resources to safely and effectively recommend medical cannabis for those conditions that would qualify. So how much did you know, you know, when you were approached by the legislature uh, about medical cannabis? Uh, Surprisingly, very little, which is actually on par with uh, physicians nationwide. You know, they did not receive training uh, with regards to the endocannabinoid system or or medical marijuana uh, in medical school or their fellowships, obviously, because it was uh, deemed a schedule one substance. So there was really no reason to. Um, but nowadays things are changing and, and the American Medical Marijuana Physician Association is kind of leading the, the, the change. So, so give me some of your insights as a sports medicine doctor. Um, you know, I, I've, I've spoken to a couple of, of people who, who, uh, advocate for, you know, using cannabis in, in various, uh, forms and athletics, um, you know, the, as CBD as, as, a, as something to help with muscle information for cool down. Um, what role do you think that medical cannabis can play in athletics? You know, that's a complicated question with an even more complicated answer. Um, I'd say undoubtedly the NFL and the NFLPA leadership is, is really struggling with the same uncertainty that the rest of us are dealing with. They're likely dealing with conservative legal recommendations instructing them that medical cannabis is still technically a Schedule One drug with no proven medical benefits. With, with that said, the uh, World Health Organization has recently recommended that CBD not be internationally scheduled as a controlled substance. And that is based in part on the research that has shown that CBD could have some therapeutic value for epilepsy, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, anxiety, pain, nausea inflammatory bowel disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and, 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 and many more. So I, I think that's the largest barrier at this point uh, to having more widespread and legitimate use of these products in the NFL and other professional associations for that, that matter. So do you think that the NFL is sort of the front line to acceptance in pro sports, given the physicality of the sport and that some former and current players are cannabis owners and advocates? You know, Ricky Williams just launched his own product. Uh, you've got Eugene Monroe, who struggled to open a dispensary in Maryland. Um, you know, not to mention that there's been a recent study that found retired NFL players use opioids at a rate four times the national average. So if, if are, are are we looking at the NFL as the front line in, in, 
in the acceptance in pro sports. Uh, you know, I, I've read that the NHL is a little more lenient. Uh, Major League Baseball is a little more lenient. Uh, you know, the NBA, uh, some have said that there was a recent recent player who said that, you know, 89% of the players in that league use cannabis. So, you know, is the NFL sort of what we would look at in terms of acceptance in, in major sports? Yeah, TG, I would, I'd have to agree with that. I think the NFL, just based on the sheer size alone, uh, would, would be um, a candidate for qualifying as the forefront of, of legitimization of, of medical cannabis use. There, there is a large number of NFL athletes that use it, and I think it's upwards of 90% as well. And um, we just have to kind of connect the dots. And I think over the next couple of years, you will see the, the, the push for that. And, and our conference that we're having in May, May 18th and 19th, actually is entitled the NFL and medical cannabis. And the reason we did that was, to your point, we wanted to merge for the first time ever these two worlds of, of traditional Western medicine and then, you know, the, the alternative treatment of medical cannabis and, and then do that, merge those two worlds on a foundation of high level science, which has really never been done before. And I think that, you know, we're, we're really kind of uh, in the beginning process here, and it's going to take some time. Uh, you've got a lot of conservative legal minds telling the NFL what not to do. So we're going to try to put together some evidence and, and research and see if we can safely move this industry forward. You know, as, as I as I said previously, the the you know there's a recent study: NFL players using opioids four times the national average. Several studies have found. I mean, it's it's now. I mean, it's 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 gone from several studies to really, you know, a, a giant mass movement sort of uh, have found that medical cannabis uh, could be an alternative for some patients on opioids. As as a physician, what's your take on these studies? What's what are you seeing? You know, is this something that could be could medical cannabis be used as a pain therapy, as a opioid? Um, What's what I'm looking for here? <laughs> Replacement and, and an exit drug? Well, well TG, I think the, the answer to that is absolutely. I think it has to be done in the right situation. I think it has to be done very carefully under the guidance of a trained physician. But uh, to your point again, we've got uh, one of the statewide medical directors uh, for a medical marijuana treatment center actually speaking to that uh, You know, at our, at our marijuana medical marijuana conference uh, in May entitled Transitioning Ex-NFL Athletes from Opioids to Medical Cannabis. Now, that's going to be the nuts and bolts and how to do something like this. How do you transition an NFL athlete or any patient for that matter from the high-level opioid use and slowly wean them down and transition them to something that is as effective and certainly safer? That's, that's what we're dealing with. It's a, it's a, it's a crisis uh, in Florida and nationwide, and I think everybody... As long as it's done properly and safely and it's based on evidence when available, uh, I, I think that we're moving in that direction. 
So what are you sort of seeing from, from your colleagues? My wife's actually a physician, and when you know we first started talking about you know medical cannabis and the opioid thing, she wasn't completely on board because, as, as you said earlier, it's not something that they really talk about in med school. And you know she, she went to Berkeley, so, so she is a, a supporter of cannabis. But you know she wasn't really on board with this whole, you know, that, that it is as, that its efficacy is, is as well documented as as it's become um are you seeing a change from from people in in that that you deal with your colleagues in in with regard to medical cannabis and opioids uh yes dg i am actually seeing a change it's a slow change but but it is a change nonetheless i mean you have to understand there is a dichotomy of of physicians, you know, some physicians are old school, you know, they, they tend not to think as much outside of the box and they're, they're trained to think a certain way. You know, when I trained at Duke university, everything was evidence-based. If it wasn't, you know, in the journals, if it wasn't evidence-based and you couldn't, you couldn't justify your use of this antibiotic or this treatment, then you didn't do it, which is a very smart way of doing things. And, and that's, that's always good for the patient. When you take that and you kind of extrapolate that mentality over to the medical cannabis world, there's not that type of evidence yet. And the reason there's not that type of evidence why your wife was a little skeptical in the beginning is, is very simple. It's, it's still a Schedule One drug. The, uh, the, the federal government has made it very, very difficult to study this, to, to research this. There was really only one institution that provides the uh, medical cannabis for anybody that's interested. And, and you've got to go through an enormous process just to be approved to do that research. So that's why there is a paucity of research right now of that level. Now, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of anecdotal and and lower um, level studies uh, that are that are very useful in in giving us ideas and giving us reason to move forward with with the studies, uh, and that's where we stand here at, at the American Medical Marijuana Physician Association. We always will support more research. In fact, uh, Congressman Matt Gates is in the process of working on legislation uh, up in Washington D.C. that will help facilitate research on a nationwide uh, level, and, and we'll, we should see a lot of uh, good benefit from them. So, so you've mentioned sort of the you know one of the barriers to this is the federal government. Uh, in light of recent moves by the feds to perhaps initiate a crackdown on state legal cannabis programs by Jeff Sessions, you know, revoking the the Cole memo, um, should recommending physicians be concerned about federal blowback? Good question, TG. Well, here here in Florida, especially, I, I know for a fact the Florida legislators tried to write the most protective law that they could in order to take away as much risk as they possibly could for physicians. You know, that said, the Federal Controlled Substances Act prohibits possession, manufacturing, distribution of marijuana. Therefore, you know, if physicians are practicing within the boundaries of the state law, we believe uh, physicians are protected. However, here's my disclaimer. You know, our organization would advise all physicians to seek advice from counsel in their respective states to determine if that method by which that physician seeks to provide certification of conditions meets with their state's requirements and regulations for physician certification and to additionally explore with counsel the risk that the certification of qualifying conditions presents under federal law as it has been historically prosecuted in that state. So 
that's my wordy disclaimer, but it is important to, to, uh, to kind of promulgate that uh, to physicians uh, nationwide. And in some states, uh, physicians are required to publicly, you know, be listed on a public dossier, if you will, that they uh, recommend medical cannabis. And uh, in some states, that's been a barrier, it seems, to physicians signing up with these state programs. However, at the same time, without that dossier, how does a patient find a physician? So, so I'm not sure what what the rules are in Florida, uh, but what is your sort of take on you know that dossier existing? Should physicians uh, be worried and and not want to be publicly listed? You know, it's sort of a catch twenty two. But but what is your take on you know sort of this public listing of physicians who recommend cannabis? Well, TG, as we understand it now, the biggest risk to anyone involved in the medical marijuana industry comes down to a few things. It comes down to whether the federal prosecutors believe you're involved with drug trafficking, diversion, or money laundering. However, you know, in the state of Florida, it's also illegal as a qualified recommending physician to have any ownership or receive any monetary stipend from a licensed medical marijuana treatment center. So I think if a physician is simply practicing his or her right to free speech and making suggestions or recommendations um, or, or even certifying that the patient has a specific condition, in many states it just comes down to a certification that they have this condition or that condition, which is the same thing that physicians do every day with workers' compensation and other insurance, you know, independent exams, they're simply certifying that this patient has this condition. And then that, that patient may, you know, in whatever state they, they reside in, it may be legal for them just to take that certification and, and obtain uh, a, a, a recommendation for medical cannabis. So I think as long as physicians are simply making those recommendations, um, that in and of itself should help to mitigate uh, much of their risk. But again, that would be a, a point where they would be advised to speak to counsel in their in their particular state just to ensure that there's not a history of physicians being prosecuted. And, and there's really not any, any physician that has been simply prosecuted. There's been extraneous situations. You know, up in Massachusetts, there's been physicians that had lost their DEA license, but they had also owned what the equivalent of a medical marijuana treatment center is. And they actually owned a dispensary. So they were kind of double dipping and, and the federal government didn't like that too much. Are there any other risks physicians should consider when deciding whether or not to participate in a state approved medical cannabis program? Well, it, it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. You know, it, the, the, the biggest risk is if, at least in the state of Florida, they co-mingle with the medical marijuana treatment centers. You know, the medical marijuana treatment centers can't offer a physician uh, a monetary stipend and say, here, if every, every physician you send to my, my clinic, we'll pay you, you know, $50. That is absolutely illegal in the state of Florida. So one way to, to mitigate the risk here in the state of Florida is to avoid any situation uh, that would even result in any perception of impropriety. So that's, that's certainly one way they can mitigate the risk here in Florida. The other ways that they can mitigate the risk is, is to just practice good medicine. Base everything on evidence whenever possible. Um, you know, 
discuss with the patient the risks, the, the, the side effects, the potential side effects, um, how this whole process works. And, um, you know, those are things that, that uh, most physicians have been trained and, and they do this every day. So uh, that's why we're very supportive uh, of this industry if it's done correctly and it's done safely. So, you know, going, going back to, uh, I've, as I said, I've, I've spoken to a couple of physicians on the show. Again, my wife, my wife is a, is a practicing physician. And, you know, one of the most common things that I hear is we're not taught about cannabis in medical school, aside from that it's a schedule one drug. Um, what are the barriers to medical schools talking about this? Is it just, you know, the fact that it's still a schedule one drug, even though, you know, we now have, you know, pretty good evidence that CBD effectively treats seizures um, and these sort of things, you, you know, can, can you sort of muse on, on, on why we're not seeing more medical schools treating this as, you know, medicine? Yeah, it's very simple, TG. It's, it does come down to medical cannabis or cannabis being a Schedule One drug still. And if a medical school that relies on research funding, let's say from the NIH or another uh, federal organization, um, if that's one of their mainstays of, of funding, that being the federal government, then they could potentially risk losing some of that funding if they are if they are um, involved in in medical cannabis. Now, the reality of that, and, and whether you know that actually happens, I, I don't know that that's actually happened. But again, it comes back to these medical schools, these colleges, these universities all have legal counsel. They all have their general counsel and an entire legal team. And if I was a lawyer, I'd probably make the same recommendation. No lawyer is going to go out on, on, on an edge and say, you know what, you know, I, I know we received $25 million from the federal government, uh, but I think it's okay. Let's just go start teaching our medical students about medical cannabis. The $25 million, I'm sure, will be there tomorrow. We have nothing to worry about. No lawyer is going to say that right now because it's a Schedule One drug. It just is not prudent uh, to make that kind of a legal recommendation. So that's, that results in the trickle-down effect. So the, the professors and, and the uh, physicians that are teaching these courses tend to kind of get wind of that as well. And that's why there's a paucity of education. And that, in part, is, is one of, of the, the, the holes that the American Medical Marijuana Physician Association is trying to fill, you know, the high-level education the, the, the research, the evidence that's out there and, and very slowly, you know, help any physician that is interested in this to do it the right way, you know, help them at least get, uh, get that education that they did not get in, um, in medical school or residency. So you had said, you know, you, you coming out of medical school that, that you didn't know that much about medical cannabis. Now, here you are. Um, what was sort of the turning point for you or the eye-opening moment for you that you said, hey, this, this, this is legitimate? Well, as with most things in medicine, it starts out with personal experience. And I was, I was very involved uh, up in Tallahassee, and I was actually able to see some of, of the, the children that had experienced a significant uh, response to, to the low THC 
uh, cannabis that, that they were taking, you know, little, little, uh, little girls were, you know, one specifically, I'm not going to mention her name, but she actually had seizures, you know, almost on an hourly basis. And then her mom was able to give her, uh, the, the medical cannabis and, and the seizure stopped. That's something that is more impactful than really anything else as a physician. So it makes you, it makes you start to think. And once you start to think, um, is this real? Is, is there anything to this? That's when your training takes over and you try to, to uh, do more research and learn about it as much as you can. And then when, when that happens, you know, it, you know things kind of take hold. And uh, if you have something that has potential like medical cannabis and you want to see more research being done, you want to help that along. And, and that's kind of where I am right now. So what are some of the legislative issues that the association is working on, uh, you know, this year? Well, the American Medical Marijuana Physician Association supports any legislative issue that would really protect the physician's license, protect the physician's practice, and protect the physician's ability to continue to practice medicine. Uh, AMPA also supports the expansion of treatment indications is based on clinical research studies, and that's that's the key. Uh, we don't just uh, support a widespread global, uh, you know, expansion. It, it should be based on clinical research studies. The the current law, you know, does at least in Florida require a large amount of physician time to be dedicated to providing supporting documentation uh, for each patient being certified and. Um, that, you know, that in and of itself can be quite burdensome. They have to show that there's efficacy of marijuana as a treatment for that condition. They have to show that there's support, you know, that that treatment benefit outweighs the potential health risks. And, and again, that is incredibly burdensome for a busy physician. But AMP is working on multiple fronts to make it easier for those physicians, really by developing ways to help improve their efficiency and, and also trying to roll back some of the legislative mandates that ultimately uh, will rely then on uh, just physicians, you know, and their extensive training and experience to dictate the standard of care, not necessarily just going by, you know, policy that's dictated up at the Department of Health. So what are some of the conditions that you might advocate being added to medical cannabis regimes? Well, TG, I'm sure there's there's quite a few. What what we're looking at specifically here at the American Medical Marijuana Physician Association is, uh, you know, those conditions that have the most research. You know, that that could be Alzheimer's, other neurodegenerative diseases, anxiety, autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis. Um, they've all shown promise when treated with medical cannabis. However, um, this is this is something you'll hear me say a lot. More research needs to be completed. And so what, what advice do you have for, you know, physicians who aren't recommending now, who might be interested in it, or um, those who want to, you know, get involved with AMP? So, you know, it's simple. I would say get involved with the American Medical Marijuana Physician Association. There, you know, you can not only learn the basics of the endocannabinoid system, and get exposed to the available research that exists for medical cannabis, but start to understand the practice management issues, the, the law and the requirements for physicians to, to best mitigate their risks. And, and it's not only important to get involved and in, in to uh, obtain this kind of education from the standpoint of physicians that want to be 
active in having their own clinic and recommending medical cannabis, but also those physicians that are simply getting those questions asked of them by their patients. So, you know, there's really no reason not to to expand your horizon just enough to to kind of know what everybody's talking about. You know, would CBD help these neurodegenerative processes? How does it do that? How do we how does a doctor, even if I'm not doing it, how does another doctor that's going to be recommending cannabis, how do they do that? What is it? How is it dosed? You know, things like that uh, can certainly help any physician. And what about for patients, you know, for, for those who, you know, might be considering medical cannabis, but, you know, may not have the resources to, you know, to, to speak to a physician, you know, some, some poor patients, um, or those who, you know, might have a condition that they they believe might be helped by medical cannabis. You know, what advice do you have for the, that population? Well, that's a, it's a very common question. I get asked that a lot. And what I tell patients, you know, I tell them always start with a discussion with your primary care physician. Your primary care physician is ultimately the quarterback of your medical team. And, and there you can see if you have a condition that would qualify for medical cannabis treatment. Now, if they don't have a primary care physician or they're not really able to have that discussion, patients can also reach out to physicians on the web. Uh, this is, you know, the 21st century, you know, like Dr. Barry Gordon at VeniceCare.com. He's a fantastic physician and he's worked with a lot of patients uh, all across the state that have had uh, an interest in, in curiosity and medical cannabis. And, and finally, you know, medical marijuana treatment centers themselves, uh, like Certera and Knox Medical, they all have in-depth resources uh, that are easily accessible on the web. So there, there's really no limitations, whether, you know, you know, whether you were asking about, you know, how to poor patients or, or, or less, uh, you know, less well-to-do patients get access to this. It's very easy. You know, you can do a lot of research on the web and learn, uh, learn about this entire process on the web. So where can people find out more about the American Medical Marijuana Physicians Association and especially the conference that you have coming up? So the American Medical Marijuana Physician Association is on the web, just like everything else. at uh, AMPA.net. That's A-M-M-P-A dot net. And uh, on the front page, uh, the physicians can learn all about our upcoming conference entitled the NFL and Medical Cannabis. It, it's going to be a great conference. We've got uh, Dr. Bennett Amalu, the physician that was featured in the movie Concussion. He was actually played by Will Smith. He's going to come and speak to us. We've got congressmen uh, that are actually dealing that are actually dealing with this federal legislation right now. Congressman Matt Gates is coming to do a keynote. Uh, we've got um, you know physicians from all over the country flying in that are absolutely the experts in their field that actually publish all the articles and, and do the research that that we as physicians are reading, and they're going to be coming to speak on some very interesting topics. Again, this is not necessarily for you know everyday patients. This is a high level scientific uh, evidence based. Uh, um, research um, um, discussion. That's what we're trying to do here. So it, it should be real exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I really want to take thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I know that this this sort of took a while. You're a really busy guy. Um, 
and and you know tell you how much i you know appreciate you know what uh you know the the american medical marijuana physicians association does i think that it's it's really important that we have this now um and you know i, I can't wait to see the work that comes out of that conference yeah, we are, we are very excited about that, and I appreciate you having me, TG. And you are welcome to come to the conference. Uh, we'll get you right in, and uh, you know, I'm sure everybody uh, will have something that they can learn. Yeah, I, I I I will definitely look into that. I want to thank you again for coming on the show again. Uh, this has been Dr. Jason Perzolo of the American Medical Marijuana Physicians Association. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, TG Brandfault. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of cannabis, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to Gondrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today.